Welcome to the Community HealthCast, sponsored by the Queen's Community Health Board. When we think of having an accessible community, we often think of individuals who have physical limitations being able to move about safely. A community that removes any obstacles for these individuals to safely do what they need to do day to day. Yes, this is certainly an important part of the discussion around being an accessible community. But I've come to know that there is much more to consider. Take a moment and consider people who have autism, vision or hearing limitations, or strong chemical sensitivities. Also, the segment of our community who have, as they have aged, developed accessibility issues. Every person is as different as the range of accessibility concerns they might have. With me today, as always, is our Queen's Community Health Board Coordinator and Podcast Editor Extraordinaire, Elizabeth Bailey. Now, Elizabeth, we have a lot to get into for this important topic, don't we? We sure do. I'm happy we're talking about this today. This one is near and dear to my heart. Yes, and this will be part one of a two-part series. And starting off our conversation today, we have Sue Beaumont. Sue is a former member of the Queen's Community Health Board and is joining us to share her perspective on the subject of accessibility. Welcome, Sue. Tell us a bit more about yourself and why you're passionate about the topic of accessibility. Okay, so I have been married for 42 years to a person who's permanently confined to a wheelchair. Um, We raised a family of three during that time. I'm also a retired physiotherapist, so I dealt with people who had many different types of physical and mental disabilities over my 40 years of working. So I think that's why I'm very passionate about accessibility. I'm interested to know your perspective on what you think accessibility means today in our society. People have this vision of, you know, the person in the wheelchair sitting at the bottom of the flight of stairs. That's fine, but it doesn't address the people who have all the other types of disabilities that are now accepted by society as being a genuine disability. Things, obviously, we've always known about the deaf and the blind. They've been kind of forgotten because of that whole image of sitting at the bottom of the stairs. But there's also, as you pointed out, all the other mental health issues, the environmental issues that are around right now. So I think it's a very broad spectrum of issues that society really doesn't address very well. What are we doing right in Queen's County? Well, I think the fact that we now have an accessibility coordinator, Elise Johnson, who will be looking at this in much more depth, Unfortunately, however, under the Disability Act of Canada and of Nova Scotia, the only thing that the municipality has to do as a government is address accessibility of municipally owned property, which is fine, but it really leaves out many of the other things in Queen's and other places that are short on accessibility. And I'll I'll use one example, and obviously I'm much more comfortable with the physical aspect of things. I don't think a lot of people realize that if you go into McDonald's, the washroom isn't really a public washroom. So if you look at public washrooms in Queens, the only public washroom that I'm aware of, and I don't know about North Queens, is the one in the Tourist Bureau, which is accessible. But many so-called public washrooms have a wheelchair accessible stall in the washroom with everybody else. If you have a person in a wheelchair or a blind person, for instance, who has to go into that washroom, they need assistance. I've been faced with having to go into the men's washroom with my husband. It doesn't bother me. 
because that's the kind of gal I am, but it would bother a lot of other people, including the other men in that washroom. So I think when we look at businesses or governments putting in washrooms that are available to the public, they should be having a separate. And this doesn't just apply to somebody who has a physical disability. If you have a, a young child or if you have an autistic person in your family who is very noise sensitive, you may need to take them into a very quiet environment in order to use the washroom. So I think it's very important to develop far more family washrooms that are available to the public. If we look at other things, Sue, what other things can you talk about that you've observed might be an issue to uh, consider improving or changing in our area? Well, I think the sidewalks in Liverpool, it was a big step forward when they painted the yellow on them. However, a lot of the older sidewalks are very slanted. So if you're a person in a wheelchair or even if you're a mum pushing a stroller, what you're moving is going to constantly head towards the road. Now, if you happen to be a pretty fit person doing that, that might be okay. But if you're, you know, a very compromised person trying to negotiate that sidewalk, it's going to get very tiring very quickly. So there are definitely a lot of things to think about. And some of those things are very challenging to change. I mean, to change that kind of community infrastructure, there's a lot of cost involved with that. Absolutely. But we have an aging population in Nova Scotia, so it's becoming more and more critical that these changes get made. What have you identified, Sue, that might be some things that maybe don't cost too much and, in your opinion, might be easy to do that we're not doing in Queens County? Trying to have a designated quiet area in different places so that people who are noise sensitive can actually go. Sobe's definitely started doing a decreased light, decreased noise shopping time. Those things are very important so that, you know, you could take your children shopping with you without having to worry. And I, a mother with an, an autistic child who is very noise sensitive needs to be able to go grocery shopping with her family and not be left behind. I think a lot of things you're talking about, and correct me if I'm wrong, is around awareness. Absolutely. It really is all about awareness. And I think people have to get away from seeing people with disabilities either as the Rick Hansons of this world, who obviously has done very well despite his disability, versus the person who is severely, severely affected by their disability and is becoming isolated because of it. I think we've all realized with COVID that social isolation is a huge issue. When it comes to awareness, Sue, what do you think we can do as a community to see things in a different light? Well, I think things like this podcast are super important because it can actually make people realize that accessibility isn't just the dude at the bottom of the staircase and that we need to face the fact that as particularly as we age, we're all going to have to face accessibility issues. And I'll use this as an example. The steps at the town hall, which have been redone, many people were struggling to negotiate those steps. The person with the really painful hip the person who had just broken their ankle and was on crutches. They were very dangerous for those people. So I think we just have to keep making sure that we make it clear to everyone that accessibility is not just the dude at the bottom of the staircase. It's any of us could become part of that population at any moment in time. We're all only ever temporarily abled. That's right. We absolutely are. That's right. I want to thank you so much, Sue, for coming in and giving us your perspective, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Our next guest today, Elizabeth, is Debbie Wombolt. 
Deb is a business owner, homesteader, mother of two boys, one of which is a child with autism. Welcome to the Community HealthCast, Debbie. Thank you for having me. Now, Deb, as a disabled person yourself, is it fair to say that you are a passionate advocate for all disabilities and differences? Oh, definitely so. What was it that got you tuned into your advocacy work? Like what made you say, I'm just going to start helping people? I I would say it was the birth of my son, um, you know, and his diagnosis with autism. He was diagnosed at three. And it really happens really fast that you start to realize the shortfalls in your community and the shortfalls in the systems that surround you. At three years old, you're really starting to get your kids out into the world and you're starting to look at preschools and schools and that kind of thing. It was a combination of that and my circle of friends that I made through my son having autism and the conversations that we had as well. Deb, those are excellent reasons to get involved in any kind of advocacy. You have a personal stake in it and you've observed gaps that need to be bridged The mama bear, I mean, that's not for nothing, is it? Certainly not. Whenever something comes up against your kid, it's a sticking point for sure. And one of ours, a big one, is, you know, the aspect of play. Seeing that shortfall around here, it's emotional. I could tell, you know, a story of driving by playgrounds with my son crying in the background because we can't go. You know, he can't just go and play with his friends. And at three years old, he's seeing other kids playing and wanting to play with them. And it's just not safe. Deb, tell us a little more about that. Help us understand why that might not be safe. For Angus, he was a big flight risk when he was very young and still is. Not necessarily as big a flight risk now as he was back then. But you would need two people to keep a close eye on him because if he got overexcited, whether it's a good overexcitement or a bad overexcitement, he would be gone. So a lot of our playgrounds, the sight lines just aren't there. They're in close proximity to water and they're in close proximity to high traffic areas. And we found out relatively quickly with very scary situations that taking him to playgrounds on our own as a solo parent, it just was not safe. So what do you think Queens needs to do to overcome some of those playground accessibility barriers or generally speaking barriers? I think broadening your mindset around disability is the one thing that I've noticed that really needs to change. A lot of people, when they think of disability, they think of a wheelchair or they think of a sight issue. They don't necessarily think of the issues that surround developmental disabilities or mental disabilities. So broadening their scope and mindset around those issues And the complex needs of people on the autism spectrum is what really needs to happen. Can you maybe tell us a little bit more about what kind of accessibility concerns that are specific to people with autism in your understanding of it? People on the spectrum, especially children, are drawn to water and they're drawn to high traffic areas. Flight concerns are huge concerns for parents of children on the spectrum Because, like I say with Angus, whether they're excited for a good or excited for a bad reason, they can be a flight risk. And they are absolutely drawn to waterways and they are absolutely drawn to high traffic areas for stimulatory reasons. So as you all probably know, our play parks are in close proximity to water and they're in close proximity to high traffic streets and areas. 
So it doesn't take a split second for your child to be gone out of your sight and a terrible accident to happen. And we've been very fortunate here in Queens not to have any really terrible accidents, although I'm sure there's been close calls that I know of just in my circle of friends. So that's a big concern. But also a big concern is the understanding of people around you that your child might not interact with their child the same way as they have a preconceived notion that they should. Or they might not interact with a piece of play equipment the way that a preconceived notion would tell you they should. So being accessible in those ways and having equipment that is broadly adaptable is another concern. Given that, I mean, I know you're involved in several projects here in Queens County, and one of them is something very related to what we're talking about. Tell us about that project, Debbie. The biggest project that I am involved in is the Queens Universally Designed Play Park. And it began as a park that would be safe for children on the spectrum, but grew as we learned more about universal design into a park that would be safe for anyone from 18 months old up to 100 years old of any ability. Universal design is a set of rules for being accessible to anyone of any ability. The park will be accessible to people on the spectrum, people with mobility issues, people with hearing impairments, people with sight impairments, seniors who have mobility issues, people with dementia. It's basically a broadening of your scope of safety and your scope of interaction so that everyone can come and enjoy the park and play no matter how you interact with it. If this project is making it accessible for grown-ups and children of all ages to participate, I think that sounds pretty neat. What else can you tell us about it? If you think about grandparents, and we have a large senior population here in Queens, grandparents will be able to interact with their grandchildren at this play park. You know, I've seen grandparents take their grandchildren to the playground and just have to sit there and not interact. And we all know that grandparents really love to play with their grandkids. Every aspect of this playground structure, both the splash pad and the playground structure, is accessible. So um, you'll be able to get right on there and play with your grandkids. Seniors with dementia, it's been studied and proven that play actually enhances their quality of life and their mindset as well. So stimulatory play really helps people with dementia. Where are we at with this project? Is this something that we can expect to see now or where are we at? We are $150,000 away from our goal. When COVID came, it kind of really took the wind out of our sails because there were several grants that we could have written for that are now paused because of COVID. So we're having to relook at raising money and how we can raise that money. Um, we've raised $300,000 and almost 30000 is community fundraising alone. So we're really proud to say that our community is always there when we're raising money and in full force. Yeah, we're about 150000 away from our goal, and we're working hard to get to that goal by November, hopefully. Realistically, we could be building this play park in the spring if we can get to our goal. That's quite amazing what your group has achieved. What would you like to see happen with this? People want to help, or they want to get involved. 
what can they do? We have opened up and asked if there are people who are interested in running fundraisers for us. Um, We have several people doing that right now as we speak. And we also are approaching local funders as well as looking at uh, some big guns. Yeah, we have an ongoing account with the Bottle Depot where you can donate the proceeds of your refundable bottles. Uh, We have a GoFundMe page set up and you can find a link to that on our Facebook page. Um, We also accept donations. You can contact me and you can come and give me a donation and you can get a tax receipt get those through Autism Nova Scotia, who is our nonprofit. We'll be listing Deb's contact information on our Facebook page, Queen's Community Health Board. One last question for you, Deb. What do you think we're doing well in Queen's County about this topic of accessibility? I think we are one of the most inclusive counties that I've ever lived in. Because uh, we have several residents who are disabled and who are accepted quite readily in our community. I mean, of course, we have shortfalls, but we are one of the most inclusive and accepting places that I've ever been in. Of course, we have QASL in our community and they are top notch. We should be very, very proud of them and their work with the disabled community We also have so many other programs and so many other avenues that we support people with disabilities. I think we just need to broaden our scope. Deb, I want to thank you so much for all of your information that you've given us about the Play Park and sharing your story today. Thank you so much for talking to us today on the Community HealthCast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be talking about such an important topic and such an important project as the Play Park. Next week on the Community HealthCast, host Deb Rattall interviews Elise Johnston-Agar, the new Accessibility Coordinator for the Region of Queen's Municipality, on part two of our series about accessibility. Tune in and join the conversation.